This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I mean, for me, it's a Thursday because that's when I'm recording this. I have my freaking bike shorts on because after I record this, I am determined to get on the Peloton. And I'm just going to tell this random story right now because every time I say the word determined, I think about it. So my first year undergrad, I did in Florida and I had this friend named Harry Mitrano. Maybe he's listening to this. Probably not. Anyways, he told this story about when he was in school. I think it was like high school or elementary school. I'm not sure. But he had to read. It was like one of those things where you're reading a book as a class. And so they like go through the class and everyone takes turns reading. So it got to his turn to read and he was all like frazzled and anxious. And In the book, it had the word determined, but he was reading it as Dietermind. And I thought that was so friggin' funny. And I've never forgot that random story. And every time I see the word determined, I think about Dietermind and it friggin' makes me laugh. Anyways, moving on. These are the kinds of things that are going through my mind throughout the day. It's like I can't, you know, I see one word and I'm like off thinking about something hilarious. So today's episode is with Ryan Allen. He is preschool therapy on TikTok. If you are on TikTok and you're a parent, I'm sure you follow him. And if you do not, I highly recommend that you do. He always touches on things that are very important in parenting and things that, you know, most parents are struggling with. So tantrums, sleep training, setting boundaries and how to hold those boundaries. He is also one of the very few people that, you know, because oftentimes we hear parenting experts talk about how to handle certain situations with your kids, but that's all they're doing is they're talking. And he actually does really neat TikToks where he acts out like a child not listening and how the parent should respond. So you can actually see it, which I really appreciate. On Instagram, he is preschool therapist and he shares a lot of his videos on there. So if you're not on TikTok, you can also find his content on Instagram. We touched on so many topics in this episode. It is very valuable information. It's going to be topics that you know, every parent is going to relate to. If you have parent friends who don't listen to the podcast, this will be a good episode to send to them. We talk about holding boundaries. We talk about sleep training. We talk about meltdowns. We talk about parent versus parent judgment and why there's so much, you know, shaming when it comes to parenting. We also touch on how, you know, so many things in parenting are very black and white when really we need to be living in the gray area, you know? 
So many people are, you know, it's all or nothing or you're this or you're that. And we don't really consider that every family, every child, every parent, every situation is so different. No parenting decision is black and white. A lot of us are in the gray and we need to start looking at other families, other parents who make decisions that are different from our own and understanding that their situation is not like ours. And so what works for us might not work for them and that's okay. So I hope this episode gives everyone, you know, it makes you think, it makes you reflect on your parenting and maybe, you know, you're going to learn some tips and tricks that you can start implementing right away. You know, for example, we talk about trying not to use if, you know, like I get mad at my husband sometimes because he says, you know, if you do this, then we can do this. And I'm like, don't say if. And if you just change it, like I always make it a sequence of events instead, like go pee on your potty and then we're going to get your snack and then we're going to go in the car and you can have your snack in the car, you know, instead of being like, if you go pee, then you'll get your snack. So yeah, just little tips and tricks and ways to make our lives easier as parents because parenting is effing hard. So without further ado, please welcome Ryan Allen, TikTok's favorite preschool therapist to the Mom Room Podcast. So yeah, super excited to talk to you today. Obviously, I know you from TikTok. I'm sure most people that you meet nowadays say that. So on TikTok, you're called the preschool therapist, right? And I'm curious where that name comes from and how you got into this as a career. So on TikTok, it's preschool therapy. And then on Instagram, it's preschool therapist. Okay. And that's only because I tried to do preschool therapist on TikTok, but they think therapist is a bad word. Uh, really? So they wouldn't let me have that. I think it's because, have you seen the joke, what therapist turns into, if you break it up into two words? Okay, yes, that makes sense. There you go. Yeah. Yes. So I think that that's why they wouldn't let me do it. So anyway, that's why it became preschool therapy. And then I actually love preschool therapy more. So, But I haven't changed Instagram just because... It's weird when you change your name on those yeah. things. Yeah, no, I know. So anyway, <laughs> I became, uh, I came onto TikTok really just because I was trying to practice for YouTube. That's all I was really wanting to do because that was the big thing. And TikTok is just supposed to be like this fun little app where I could practice and be silly and get used to just being on a camera. And it took off. And that's just how it, and then it, the rest is history. So they say, right? And when did you start TikTok? Like when did you actively start making regular content? Like many people, it was right in the summer as the pandemic hit. Like everybody. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, well, you know what? There's nothing to do. I'm sitting on the couch. Might as well make some videos and get used to posting something. And so what's your background, like education wise? So I am a child therapist. I have a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. And there's a bunch of acronyms in our world, but for mine, it's an LPCC, which is a licensed professional clinical counselor. Depends on the state and what your degree is in to change what your license is, but it basically it's the master's degree that lets you practice mental health counseling. So, and then after I got my degree, I started, I initially was going to work with adults in the addictions world, because that's where my start was in criminal justice. And then I slowly started working with younger and younger people because I found that there was just so much trauma in that world. And I wanted to try and catch it at the root rather than having it be trying to fix people when they're, you know, 20, 30, 40 years old. Like what you do now on a day-to-day basis, has it changed because of your success on TikTok? A little bit. So because of TikTok, I also opened a parent coaching business where I work with parents, you know, all over really the country um, who are looking at just trying to understand what this new style of parenting is and how they can apply it with their own kids. So in that regard, it's made myself a lot busier. But as far as therapy-wise, I'm still doing that on a a regular basis. When you say parenting style, because I've heard so many different, you know, like there's gentle parenting, there's conscious parenting, there's respectful parenting. Are they all the same thing? They're all the same thing. You know, it's in psychology, we call it authoritative parenting, Um, but it's 
it's all just a rebrand of that style. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is we say that it's like a new style of parenting because, you know, I think most of us didn't grow up with parents that parented in that way. And so do you find it really difficult to help parents parent in this new way when they themselves were maybe brought up in a completely different way? Like it must be hard to break that cycle for parents. It really can be because one, yes, a lot of our parents are parenting how they were taught to parent from their parents and so on and so forth. And really a lot of all of that roots in behaviorism kind of styles where the only thing that matters is how your kid is acting in the moment. But the newer style is more focused on teaching kids skills that will carry with them for much longer. And I keep saying new, it's not really that new. It's been around for years. It's just that it hasn't been as mainstream as it is now because you know the term gentle parenting has taken off on TikTok. Um, but you can find many people who are raised this way. It's just the problem is a lot of people just haven't really grasped it yet and weren't raised that way. So then it feels new to them. I know a lot of people assume that, oh, gentle parenting is, I think they call it like permissive parenting. Like you're just letting your children run wild, basically. If someone's listening and they're like, oh, like I would never be a gentle parent. Like you're not teaching your kid, you know, how to follow rules. And can you explain how gentle parenting is still setting boundaries and why it's maybe more beneficial to parent in a gentle way, as opposed to only caring that your child is being obedient and listening to what you're saying? Yeah, I think so the three probably main components of gentle or authoritative parenting is your relationship, your connection with them, and your um, expectations and, and boundaries. The problem is authoritarian parenting really isn't usually focused really high on relationship. It's focused much more on obedience and compliance. And oh, I remember the third one. The third one's teaching. Sorry. With authoritative parenting, we also focus big on teaching. So with authoritarian styles, we're not so much focused on teaching, we're focused on obedience and compliance in the moment. Whereas authoritative, it's focused on, we're building connection, we're empathizing with kids, we're treating them like people, really, because that's what they are. And we're also trying to help them learn these different ways of being that's going to help them for the rest of their lives. And we do it in a way that may feel different, but it's still holding a lot of boundaries for kids. We just aren't using traditional punishment strategies like spanking and timeouts and all of that. We're using much more natural consequences and logical consequences that are much more focused on what's happening, which, and again, focusing on the much larger piece, which is teaching them in the future when this thing comes up, how are you going to make healthier and happier decisions? I saw one of your TikToks just the other day. It was so good. I love when you stitch parenting things and then break it down and explain. So that is super helpful. And I'll just say, when you act out different situations, that is also super helpful because oftentimes you see people who are parenting coaches or in like the parenting world, just giving the information. But as a parent, sometimes I'm like, yeah, but how, like, what does that look like? And so I love when you act out the different situations so that we can see, you know, if your kid is not listening, like here's exactly what to do. So that is super helpful. I was going to say, I saw one of your TikToks where the girl was talking about like being physical with her kid. Like she was calling it like giving her a whooping or whatever she called it. And you broke it down so nicely explaining how, you know, she is upset because her child hits other kids and yet that is how she deals with, you know, her daughter when her daughter does something that she doesn't like. If you look at it from an outside perspective, you know, like, what am I actually teaching my child in this moment when I'm hitting? And it's the same thing with yelling, because I think nowadays a lot of parents have more struggle with yelling and raising their voices. I always try and stay super calm because... I know from experience, if I get heated and I raise my voice, it's not going to help anything. And if anything, it's just going to escalate my low and he's going to get, you know, more pissed off. And at the end of the day, I don't want him to be afraid of me, right? Like that's not my goal. If people are in 
the habit of yelling or being physical in some way when they feel like the situation is out of their control, what are some steps that parents can take to kind of try and break that habit and maybe use more gentle strategies? I think first is understanding what is your overall goal in a situation. Whenever I'm breaking down videos or I'm interacting with situations or I'm doing a live and parents are asking me, what should I do in this specific situation? The reason I'm able to come up with answers is because my root belief is connection before anything else. Because I hold on to that, I'm always able to kind of come up with a reason or a way to handle a situation from that perspective. So in this case, my child is hitting me. So the first thing that I want to do is figure out what is going on and what are the emotions involved and try and connect with that. Right. And if I do that, it goes to this old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that that's a lot of truth for kids too. If if you're just like, you're not going to hit me, I'm going to spank you or, or I'm going to yell at you or you're going to go home and not have a tablet for the rest of the day. It, it's just, it's adding to that that power struggle that you're engaging with them and there's no learning at all, right? So if I always focus on connection first, then I'm able to then go into much deeper conversations with kids. And and it really appeases that emotional part of their brain that's really spiking and helps them to calm, which then activates their logical thought. And then we're actually able to go somewhere from there. So if a kid hits me in the car, I might be like, whoa, I get you really mad while I might be holding their hand to try and protect myself. It's not like you have to sit there and just let them punch you. Um, (laughs) But I might say you're not allowed to hit me. I get how mad you are. You're really upset that you have to be in this car and you're uncomfortable and you don't like that. And then I'll leave it there for a minute and see where they go with it. Because there is a give and take in these relationships with our kids. I think, again, the older school style, it's I do everything and you're going to do what I say. But the style is much more focused on how can I, yes, I'm, 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 I have authority over you in a way and I'm supposed to be teaching you, but how can we make this a two-way street in a way? I like how you said, like, what's the root cause? So, for example, a few days ago, my husband, well, Milo and I were home for a while doing whatever we were doing. And then my husband came home and it's always exciting for my son when my husband comes home from work. The dogs are barking and it's like a big, you know, exciting thing. And I noticed that like my husband said, hi, like came in, but he quickly sat down on the couch and he was looking up stuff on his phone. And Milo was like sprinting around the house and like jumped on the couch and hit my husband or something. And my husband got irritated and I was like, I think he's excited that you're home and he wants like connection with you, you know, and that's the only way that he knows how to get it right now. At this age, he doesn't know how to say put your phone down, you know, he instead he's going to try and like smack it out of your hands. I find I'm doing that more often now is like looking at the behavior, but then also being like, okay, why is this happening? And, you know, am I doing something right now that is not causing him to do that? But is that the reason why he's behaving that way? There's a lot of things that can, can influence kids' behaviors. And you're right. They don't know, they don't have the words yet because they're still learning. And until they learn how to use their words, and even a little bit after that, they're really their only way of communicating is through their behaviors. And they can be telling us that, yes, one is you're not giving me enough attention. It could be I'm stressed out. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm lonely, or I'm overwhelmed. It could be them saying, hey, this is a skill that I just don't have yet, and I need you to teach me how to do this. There's so many things that that behavior communicates, and when we let go of it being an inconvenience for me, then we're able to kind of open our ears and our hearts to figure out what is actually happening. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. You guys know I have been very intentional with what we've been eating lately. I'm looking at protein, I'm looking at sugar content, and avoiding things like artificial ingredients or colorings. 
Milo used to always want pancakes or waffles in the mornings, and now he is getting into cereal, and I'm so excited because Magic Spoon is the perfect option. Their variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five grams of carbs per serving. They're made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and I'm just so happy that he's getting a good amount of protein before he goes off to school. And it's a great snack for me and my husband too, because 13 to 14 grams of protein in the cereal, now you add a high protein milk, you're set. That is such a high protein snack or meal. I should also mention that it is gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash momroom to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momroom at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momroom and use the code momroom to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. So for parents, like for example, myself, I think for the most part, I would consider myself to be like a respectful parent. It's always on my mind, you know, I watch enough TikTok and, you know, follow all the people that talk about all these parenting skills. But obviously, there are times where I lose my temper, I like will grab his arm or like put him in his car seat. Because at the end of the day, like we're all human. And you know, I always say like, we have a patience bucket. And over the course of a few days, you know, especially with the pandemic and people being home alone with their kids trying to get work done, your bucket can start to become empty. And then you can grab them, you can yell. So if parents find themselves in a situation where they did yell, they did something that they wish they hadn't, how can they then repair that with their child, especially if it's a child that's like Milo's three years old. So I don't really know how much he understands, but you know, after everything is calm and the situation is over, is it worth it for parents to have a conversation with toddlers, let's say about, you know, mommy got angry and like, what would that look like? I don't think that there's any age where it's not okay or not helpful to apologize while kids even a three or a two-year-old for that matter, may not fully understand the words, they can definitely grasp the intention and your presence from it, right? So if I come at it and I'm like, look, dude, I'm really sorry. I, I overreacted here. And next time I want to try better, right? He, he may be like, overreacted? What, what does that mean? I don't know that word. But they get that you're saying, I'm sorry. And the most important thing about apologies isn't so much the apology, it's the action after it. It's me actually learning from that. And then the next time that thing happens, I'm going to try and handle it differently. I think that's the most important piece of it is if I'm finding myself having to apologize 20 times a day and it's 20 times a day for a year, then you know there's no growth there. I think, and I, I talk to parents all the time who feel like they're failing their kids and they're like, I just, I'm not getting this. And I yelled and oh, is my kid, are they ruined for life? Cause I yelled at them this time. And I'm like, most likely not. Kids are super resilient and they're going to bounce back from a lot of this stuff, but we just have to be trying to be a better person always. Right. And that doesn't only help our kids better because we're interacting with them better in that moment. It also models for them that, it's okay to mess up and learn from that. And to apologize. And to apologize. Apologies, I think, are an underused skill in our society right now. <laughs> For sure. So parents set a boundary. And I understand that, you know, it's important to set a boundary and keep it set. Sometimes that results in you know, meltdowns. And I was watching some of your TikToks talking about how I feel like a lot of the times parents make decisions because they're trying to avoid a meltdown and a tantrum because like it's awful and you just want it to stop. Can you speak a little bit about how 
you know, when you are setting boundaries, especially important boundaries with kids, and you're keeping those boundaries and not letting them be crossed, and then kids have meltdowns or tantrums, the importance of kind of sitting with them and just making it through those meltdowns instead of just, oh, okay, never mind, like you can do this because you're just trying to not (laughs) have a meltdown. Yeah, I think, again, it goes to what your goal is for emotions. And the main focus of these styles of parenting is to encourage kids to experience and learn how to manage and feel their feelings rather than us just having the focus of getting rid of them. Right. And when we're, because when we're focused on just getting rid of them, then we interact with the tantrum in a way that makes, that, is, that makes kids just feel that inauthenticity. They're like, you're just trying to make me be quiet. You're not trying to help me. And that usually makes them go on more. But going back to you know, the main question there is it's okay for kids to be upset. You know, it's hard. Even as adults, think about a time whenever you wanted to do something, you went to your boss and you're like, hey, can I have a raise? And they're like, no. And then you go into the break room and you're like, ah, that jerk wouldn't give me the raise. And you're mad at them, right? So (laughs) we, we then have kids who were like, no, you can't have cookies before we have dinner. And they're like, well, that's not fair. And then we're like, how dare you tell me that's not fair? But we do the exact same thing. So we hold them to this standard, like they're, they're, they're upset and they just have it in a, it's almost a very explosive way that the, where you did something wrong or we just need to give in because we don't want them to be upset. We just don't want to have to deal with the tears. The problem is that giving in, honestly, from a behavioral kind of standpoint, it usually makes it worse because in the end, we give them the thing. So they're like, oh, okay, one, if I do this, if I yell and scream enough, then this is a c- appropriate way for me to get what I want. And two, they never had to actually deal with the feelings because we just gave them the thing so they never had to learn the skill to regulate. So in the future, whenever something difficult happens, it may not be that they're just trying to get something. It might be that they're just overwhelmed and they have never developed the skills to be able to deal with it. So it's very okay for kids to have feelings. It's okay for that. In fact, it's a good thing. It's part of development. And so if a parent is dealing with a meltdown because they set whatever boundary and they're being firm about it. Like what should parents be doing during a meltdown? And I've often heard people say like validate their emotions and all this kind of stuff. But sometimes I find the tantrum and the meltdown is so they can't even understand what you're saying. So, you know, do you wait until they're done with, you know, the big, emotional outburst and then try and talk to them? Like, how do you kind of get through the meltdown? What do you do? So I think the first part is it's really important to understand what a meltdown actually does. And if you've ever read the big book, I always recommend that all parents ask, I probably recommend this book multiple times a week, is No Drama Discipline. It's by Daniel Siegel. It's one of probably the best parenting books, period. And one of the big things that he talks about is the hand model of our brain. So if we have our hand, right, the brain stem is our wrist here, right? And this is the part that controls a lot of the stuff we don't have to think about. It's our balance, our temperature, all that kind of stuff. The fact that we're all breathing right now, I hope, that is being controlled. And we're not having to be like, okay, breathe. Okay, make sure, oh, my body temperature went up a little bit. Let's get it down. I'm trying to sit up straight, right? If we had to try and manage all that stuff and think about it all day, we would be exhausted and we would never get anything done. So that part of the brain controls a lot of that stuff. Now, our limbic system is if we wrap our thumb in, and this is where a lot of our emotions lie. And this is our fight system, our survival system. It's also where a lot of our fear comes from. So, And then if we wrap our hand around that, that is our cortex. And that's the part of the brain that is really the human part of us. It's the part that we think it's us having that inner voice inside of our head that tells us, hey, don't do that. Or just as we're dialoguing throughout our day. And whenever we have a meltdown, basically what happens is our lid flips. So it's like this happens where our hand just kind of, the cortex just turns off. It's almost like flipping a white switch. And there is absolutely no logical thought able to happen in that moment because it's not on. And In a meltdown, that's what's happening. And that's when a lot of times we're like, dude, it's not that big of a deal. But that's logical 
argument to an emotional brain. And it's, it's like talking to somebody in Spanish who doesn't speak Spanish. And, we, and we're also in those moments. That's when we oftentimes are like, if you keep this up, you're not going to get any tablet for the rest of the day. That's logical thought because it's thinking in the future. All the, the emotional part of the brain thinks about is right this second. So a big piece of that is understanding that that part of the brain doesn't always really communicate well in words. It communicates much more in body language and in tone. It, it, it knows all of the nonverbals. And that's a big thing that we need to be doing when a meltdown's happening, is focusing on speaking to that emotional part. And that might mean that we're sitting there, we're being aware that we're dysregulated as all this is happening. We're taking some breaths to help regulate ourselves. We're being present with them like, dude, I get it. You're mad. I understand. You're, you're really upset. Right. And the focus isn't on making the meltdown go away. The focus is on being present and just being a support figure for them until it does go away, until that brain does shut back, turn back on. And we're able to actually have a conversation about how do we now solve this problem? I have many memories, especially during quarantine, because he was at that you know, peak tantrum age, just like sitting on the floor next to him, you know, and sometimes I could rub his back and, you know, I, I would try and do that. But sometimes, you know, you try and touch them and they're like, ah, don't touch me. Like they freak out. So you're just like, okay, I'll just sit here and wait. But like you were saying, you know, obviously it's terrible to watch your child have this major meltdown, but you have to kind of keep it together. And when you were talking about like they don't understand reason or logic when they're in this, you know, meltdown stage. It made me think of, we brought our son. I don't know why we did this. We'll never do it again. We brought him to the Lego store. Okay. He was like really into Legos. And I think this was right before Christmas. And in the Lego store, they have all the display, you know, Legos all set up in the nice clear display boxes. And my son was obsessed with dinosaurs and he saw all the Jurassic Park Lego displays. And he didn't understand why we couldn't take those home. And he was like starting to have a meltdown in this Lego store. And I was like, oh my God, my husband and I look at each other like, oh God, oh God, what do we do? And there was really nothing we could do. I, I tried a few times being like, honey, like the store owns that. And I'm like, Renee, he's three years old. He's having a meltdown. He's not going to understand that you have to buy the box and build it yourself, you know? So we just had to like quietly exit the store and then eventually it got better, but there's no reasoning in the situation. It doesn't matter. They're not going to be like, oh, okay. I didn't realize that's the store's display Legos. Like, thank you, mommy, for explaining that to me. Like they don't, <laughs> he just, he wants it yeah. and that's it. That's what their brain is. Yeah. And then as parents, we have to, to even manage ourselves in those moments. Because I can imagine for you in that moment, it's like, we had this really cool day we planned. You love Legos. We're going to go to the Lego store. You're going to see these cool, humongous Legos that maybe we can make. Apart from the fact that those giant ones are like $1,000 or whatever. I know. <laughs> but having that expectation and then him having being upset, it's like, well, that doesn't match up. And then there's disappointment and me as a parent, right? Plus the embarrassment now of them having this fit in the middle of a store. And it's hard because as a parent, then we're, we're juggling two things at once. We're trying to help our child, but at the same time, we're feeling really upset and dysregulated because of all these things that we just mentioned. Yeah. And I remember in that moment being like, and I think about this all the time, you know, when you are in a situation where you're in public and something's happening, you know, let's say we're at a restaurant, we're in the mall, people are watching what you're doing. And I'm always like, there's going to be people watching who think, why aren't you doing anything, you know, like drastic in this situation? Because we were just, you know, staying super calm, like when you're a gentle parent in public, I always feel like other people are like, why don't you do something, you know? And so I'm like dealing with this. And now I'm like, oh, are people looking at us? Like thinking, no wonder your child acts like that. You're not even like disciplining him. It's a lot to juggle in one moment. Yeah. You know, parents have the hardest job because there is just, there is no chill with parents anymore. <laughs> right? No. It's, 
everybody is like, you are the reason that this child is acting like that. There is no understanding of development or what's going on or the fact that it's just a kid with some emotional difficulties, not hurting anybody. He's just being loud and being upset. And they're like, oh, how dare you as a parent not not take them and punish them to make it so they don't ever have to act like that again so I don't have to deal with it, right? And I, I, it's hard being a parent today. <laughs> Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I saw your TikTok where you had received your first bit of parent shaming on TikTok. And I was like, oh, my God, Ryan, congratulations. Like, yes. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it, finally, it took forever. It was like yeah. seven months before it happened. I'm like, wow, that took a while. I'm curious what your thought is about why there is so much like parent versus parent judgment. I find it's mostly on all the major parenting topics, you know, like breastfeeding or formula feeding or sleep training, like all these major parenting decisions that people have to make. It's very black and white. Nobody wants to see the gray area or like understand what somebody else's situation is and why they maybe decided what they did. Why is everybody so quick to be like judgmental? It's not just parenting either, if you th really think about it. Yeah, right? no, that's like true. Yeah. Almost any subject, we're just, we're becoming more and more polarized. And a lot of that has to do with the echo chambers that we are in and social media. The video you were talking about before, where I broke down this parent that got mad that their child hit them, they had, if you go to that comments of that video initially, it's like people saying, this is a true parent. Yeah, that's right. You speak. And then I posted my video, and a lot of the people that follow me kind of went over there like, this isn't the way, right? Like, stop this. And then she shut her comments down. So if you look at it, it's like we, we're really good about we want people to support what we're, our viewpoint is, but we're not really willing to listen to any other way of doing it. And now there's some people that, that do. Like I've gotten – I get messages all the time where there, when somebody just recently was like, you know what? I used to see your videos and I would just roll my eyes, but then I decided I was going to try it one day and it worked, right? That's the kind of mentality that I think really we need more of in our society. And parents are just, they're not, they're no different. We, we have a way of doing things. We think that this is the only way, the right way. And if you don't fit into that little bubble, then you're wrong. And we're really shaming about how we address that with people. It's terrible. And I feel for people who are not confident in their parenting choices and who get this kind of feedback, whether it be on social media or in their real life, like from family members or friends, because it really affects people. And, you know, I just want to like grab people and be like, be confident in your choices, like you're doing a good job. But yeah. And learn from them, right? It's okay. We, we're we constantly learning. I used to write for a blog, like comments. For, and I would always feel like I started anytime I would be like, there is no instruction book for parenting. Because <laughs> that's true, but it's very cliche to say it now. But there's very few things in parenting that are absolute, right? And the beauty of gentle parenting is that it's really meant to adapt to your child. Some kids need more structure. Some don't need as much. Some kids are going to have a really big struggle with their emotions, and they're going to need a lot more work around that. Some kids are going to be super chill, and they're going to need more work on how to actually voice whenever they're disappointed, right? But there's no right or wrong way. Now, there's some things that we absolutely should avoid that society just hasn't kind of grasped onto yet. Like I, I would hope that one day we can all agree that we should never physically assault children. Whether No matter the words you want to use for it, we just shouldn't do it. But, you know, should my three-year-old be able to 
sleep in bed with me. That's really up to you as a family, right? Like if it's not going to hurt anything, if they do, it's not really going to hurt them. I've never heard of a 13 year old still sleeping in bed with their parents. Eventually they're going to be done with it. But at the same time, if as a family, you're like, you know what, this interferes with my intimacy with my partner. It's interfering with my sleep. So I can't be a better, as good of a parent in that case, then sure, set some boundaries on it. But there's no right or wrong there. I say that all the time. Like, what is considered best practice for one family is not going to be the best for the next family. And that's why I think it's so infuriating when, you know, let's say someone does a TikTok or talks about co-sleeping with their kid, and then someone comes at them like as if it's the worst thing in the world. And it's like, maybe it is for you. But it's not for them, you know, and I don't know why we can't get that through our heads. Like breastfeeding for this family was amazing. Great experience. Breastfeeding for another family is absolutely awful. It causes anxiety. The mother, you know, dreads having to feed the child all day. Like it's not a good thing. Like I wish we would all just kind of, you know, when we see what other parents are doing, be empathetic and be like, oh, obviously that's what works best for them. And that's okay. There's so many different ways to parent. And so many people are like, nope, this is the one way. And that's it. And it's so not true. Absolutely. You know, there's just so much out there of, of people saying, nope, if you do it this way, it's just, it's black or white thinking. It's either this or that. And I'm with you. I, I live in a world of gray. That's just, oh, just yeah. what I do. Like, yeah. there, there's just too many things that I can find the nuance in that I'm like, you know, this is okay in this context with you. But to crucify somebody because they make a decision that you just, just because you don't agree with it. I get this in my comments too, right? I'm, I'm like, I'm a child therapist and I even talk about using things like first then statements rather than if then statements. And I'll put a video where I, and I'll say if instead of, first then and people will grasp onto it like i can't believe you said if we're not supposed to say if we're supposed to say first and I'm like it's okay like sometimes you can say if yeah. <laughs> or you know the big thing now is don't praise your don't sit, tell your kids good job right it's okay to say good job sometimes you know we should try and do this other way more often just because it's a little bit more efficient and helpful but it's okay every now and then to say good job and you don't need to feel bad as a parent if you say good job every now and then. Yeah, I always catch myself saying that. And I'm like, oh, like, see, you're practicing so much that you're doing well. I'm like, Renee, I remember it like maybe a few weeks ago, my husband made an if statement, like, if you do this, then we'll do this. And I'm like, don't say that. Don't say if. Don't say if. Like, and he's like, what? And then I had to explain it to him. Like, <laughs> I always try and make things like a sequence of events. Like, Let's go pee on the potty and then we will put on our underwear for school and then mommy's going to get your vitamins for you, like his little gummy vitamins that he loves. And then it's like, oh, okay. Like, it's just like a sequence of events of what we're going to be doing. And it's such a small change, you know, instead of being like, if you go pee on the potty, then mommy will give you your vitamins. You just change little things. I feel like that's all of parenting. It's like these little changes that just make a world of difference. Absolutely. And that's kind of my, my mentality is that we shouldn't try and be new parents overnight. It's make small little shifts in your parenting. And eventually this stuff is going to grow into much bigger payoffs. Yeah. So a hot topic that I talked a little bit about over the holidays, especially is when people, and you see it all the time, when families force kids to give hugs and kisses. Okay. And you know, I never thought anything of this until I had Milo. Like I never, it never even crossed my mind. It was just, you know, something that people did and I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Now I understand, but can you speak a little bit about that? Because I made a TikTok about it and you could tell there's people in the comments that are just like, like they don't get it. But why is it important to respect you know, even our kids, our toddlers, when they don't want to give someone a hug or a kiss, no matter who it is. 
it's hard for some people to grasp it because I think they wrap their affection in it, right? That's like the only way that that I can feel loved is if you're touching me or you're giving me a hug or a kiss back. And for them, like a high five or a wave just isn't enough for them. The problem is we're trying to force our view onto somebody else. And in this case, it's a young child. And we need to teach people that they have body autonomy, right? Like, it's such an important thing. And and again, I keep going to society and looking at where society is today. And I'm like, well, just look at the news and see how many times consent shows up. And you can see that we need people to understand that if you don't want to hug, then I should accept that. And it teaches people that their words matter. And if I know that my words matter, then that means other people's words matter too. So then whenever I'm at school and I'm like, oh, I'm going to hug my friend Billy goodbye. And they're like, I don't want that. Then rather than trying to just push it, we're like, okay, I get it. All right. Do you want to do a wave instead? Which also teaches problem solving skills. It's just, it's such an important thing for kids. And, and I get that a lot of people are really having trouble letting go of that. But I think the, the, the large payoff here is that we're raising a generation that understands that consent matters, that body, that your body is your body and I don't get to force myself upon it. And that's just so important. It's interesting because as adults, you know, everybody screams from the rooftop, like no means no. Like that's such a, a thing in our society. And yet when it comes to kids, the same thing, like we don't consider that, you know, but as adults, it's very like, that's such a common thing that you hear. No means no, but then we're not teaching our kids that that's what it means. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it just goes again, holding kids to a different standard than ourselves, right? Uh, going to, you know, if your partner does something you don't like, are you allowed to just punch them in the face or, or not even punch them in the face? Are you allowed to just like kick them in the, in their hind end? Are you allowed to do that? No, you're not supposed to do that. That's a, it's called assault. <laughs> but if your kid does something you don't like, parents, other people are like, dude, beat them. Yeah. What's, what's wrong oh, with you? Yeah. Beat them. Right. And it's the it, same thing, right? If I were to hug a friend goodbye and they're like, dude, I don't like hugs then I'm going to be the problem. But then we flip it around and the kid's like, no, I don't want to hug. And we're like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you want to hug me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Last topic I want to pick your brain about because this is like the biggest topic that, and I don't know how I got sucked into this topic because you know what? We didn't even sleep train until we didn't let him cry until he was 11 months old because that worked for our situation. In Canada, we have a 12-month maternity leave. My husband would sleep with the monitor most nights, so I would get a good sleep. Like, it just, it worked for us. We switched to formula early on. So, yeah, I wasn't even, like, a sleep training. I never even thought about it. And now I've become almost like, you know, this spokesperson for it to try and give support to parents who do choose to sleep train because it is a really difficult thing to do. And then a lot of parents get shit on for doing it and shamed. And yeah, I've seen some of your TikToks on sleep training. And what is just like your overall like viewpoint on sleep training? I think when people think sleep training, they think immediately cried out or you go like meet the fuckers and it's like the fervor method where they're just letting the baby cry for hours upon hours and they have this view in their mind like that's what it is and that's wrong but there there's just sleep training just it's, there's such a spectrum to it right there's much more gentler approaches there's those really intense approaches like cry it out method but really none of them have been found to be any harmful right and i think that's the big thing is that People are like, well, you're causing harm to your kids and it's not good for them. And, but if you are if you have a science mind, there's no research to, that says that that's actually true, right? Now, I get if you don't want to sleep train, that's perfectly fine, right? You don't have to. My wife and I are kind of in a, a debate right now on whether we should sleep train my almost 10-month-old, right? I'm like, I'm in the camp of, look, I'm going to hold him, I'll rock him to sleep, and then I'll put him in there when he's asleep. And we're good. And she's like but then we're going to have problems with 
him needing to be held when he's like one year old and two years old and we're going to have more problems. And I had had a debate, we had our doctor's appointment today and I had that same debate with my doctor. I'm like, you know, for me, this is okay. It's not causing any problems. There's no issues with doing it this way. At the same time, if we were both of the same mentality, it would be perfectly fine to do a, a method like having him cry for a little bit and then checking on him. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, again, it's, there's so much nuance to it and there's, everybody thinks my way is the only way to do it. And it's the absolute way. And it causes a lot of problems. I've heard it all. Like it causes brain damage. Like I've heard it all. And I'm like, really? Can you send me that reference? Because I would love to look up this study. And a lot of people like to point to, there's a few studies that are very popular for people who are against sleep training. Like my PhD was in research methodology. And that's what I did was I rated RCTs, like randomized controlled trials on the quality of those studies, like looking at effect sizes. And I'm looking at these studies and I'm like, okay. And like, this is what they're basing all of their argument on. But yeah, so sleep training, I swear to God, when I do videos about sleep training and talk about the research, I think people report me and then my account like gets shadow banned. And I'm like, ugh. And it was just so unfortunate on TikTok because it prevents creators from talking about things that are important or that are these polarizing topics because now I'm like I don't want to talk about sleep training anymore because they're going to shadow ban my account so yeah so I can talk about it on the podcast though (laughs) there you go yeah (laughs) when I'm talking about any difficult subject I have to I have to kind of space it out right because I know like I just did a video about football and not letting my kid play football and it brought everybody out of the woodwork and then it died down for a minute and then it came back up again. (laughs) Probably for a good three days, I get all of the horrible comments, but it's the same thing for sleep training. You get all of those comments. And then if the video spikes again, because somebody sees it and they're like, absolutely not. And then there, everybody sees it again. And it just, (sighs) so I have to space it out before I do them. I still try and talk about them because I think it's important that we talk about things like spanking and sleep training and safe sleep and all of that stuff. Because there's there are people out there that that are still getting that misinformation, and for some reason those videos aren't getting banned. I totally agree. Okay, this was an amazing conversation. So I'm sure people are going to be wondering where they can find you, and also what services. I know you said you offer parent coaching. So where can people contact you or find you online? So I am preschool therapy on TikTok. I'm preschool therapist on Instagram and YouTube. YouTube does not have a lot on it right now. So if you go there, don't be, don't be too underwhelmed. It's because TikTok got too busy. Right. Uh, you can also find my website. It's preschooltherapist.com. I offer coaching services for anybody in the United States, which right now is actually on a wait list for individual, but I am opening up coaching groups for parents where we have like 10 parents in a group and we're just talking about all this stuff together. I'm also going to be opening that up for like older kids and for preschool teachers. So there's that coming. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. So that's, and then if you're in Ohio and you hear this, then I can offer therapy services. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Absolutely. Love talking to you. Wow.